Ephesians chapter number 1 and verse number 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God to the saints which are at Ephesus and to the faithful in Jesus Christ. Grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us all spiritual in heaven in Christ. According as he has chosen him before the foundation of the world, should be holy and blame him in love, having destined us the adoption of Jesus Christ according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin for the riches of and have abounded to us in all the prudence, have they known the midst of his will unto the good with purpose, and in the fullness of time he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on the earth, even in him, in whom we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who were all things that count on we should be to the base of his glory. First trust. In whom all trusted, after that you had heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that you believed, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance unto the redemption of the purchased possession, unto the praise of his glory. The book of Acts tells us in chapter 1, Paul was for three years. He did himself to ministry and he church the whole count of God. So that was a long time to sit under the masterful teaching of the Apostle Paul. Imagine how much truth you would have learned listening to Paul preach day and night, he says. Um, so not just on Sunday, but, but all through the week and in households teaching the word of God. And comparing that to the relatively short period of time, Paul was able to minister in other locations. The church of Ephesus was likely one of the best instructed and grounded churches in the New Testament time. Well, this letter, I believe, repeats what they learned while they were there with him. It's a letter full of gospel instruction. It's a reminder to these former pagans that Christ is Savior and he is Lord. The membership of the church of Ephesus was full of former idolaters, Ephesus was ripe with sorcery and magic and paganism and false gods and temples and sacrifices. It was a dark place. They were spiritual people, but it was a dark spirituality that was in Ephesus. And so Paul reminds the church of the gospel, and he reminds the church who has won, who is king, who is above all principalities and powers. Well, this morning I read a pretty big section, but what I want to do is take some bigger chunks of the letter to get the whole message and the flow of, of the argument, to track the flow of thought as he reminds and repeats and reinforces the truth that he taught over that period of three years. So, for example, this morning in each, there was three sections of that portion that I read. In each of those three sections, Paul uses some sort of the phrase to the praise of his glory. Three times in the first 14 verses you see um, to the praise of his glory of his grace or, or something in those, along those lines in response to what God has done for us. 
The gratitude that Paul expresses has its root in the eternal, sovereign, gracious purpose of God in our salvation. So this morning's message is to the praise of his glory. And what Paul has done is he has given us three sections on the work of God in redemption, and they conclude with the praise of the glory of, of the Godhead. And so our message this morning is divided up into three parts, focusing on the missions of the divine persons. So the first section will be to the praise of the Father who loves us. The second will be to the praise of the Son who redeemed us. And then thirdly, to the praise of the Spirit who sealed us. So Paul is an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God to the saints and to the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who have blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, when he had made us accepted in the beloved. So this section is talking, we're giving praise to God the Father who loves us. Praise to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, so through that, verses 1 through 14, we we see Paul praising the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We have one God, but one God in three persons. And so when we think of the persons of the Trinity, we think of how they relate to each other. So we don't have three gods, we have one God. And also there's not three persons with an eternal hierarchy of submission because each person of the Godhead is truly God, all-powerful, almighty, to whom all glory and honor is due. So when we think of the persons, we think of how they relate to each other in, um, in relation to one another and to their mission. So the Father eternally begats the Son, as the Scripture tells us, and the Father and the Son send forth the Spirit. The difference in the persons is not power, it's not eternity, it's not glory, it's not wisdom, it's not honor, it's not knowledge, it's not holiness, it's not love, it's not sovereignty. But the persons, we, we understand the persons by the relation as the Father begats the Son and the Son sends forth the Spirit and by their missions. So that's how Paul describes um, the, the Trinity here in their mission. Scott Swain defines the mission as the, referring to the one divine person sending another divine person in time to accomplish God's undivided work of salvation. The Father sends the Son to become the incarnate Redeemer. The Father and the Son send the Spirit to indwell and enliven and sanctify us. So when we think of God and the Trinity, we don't think of, of, we think of their persons and their relations to one another, their eternal relations, and their mission in redemption in time. So in each section, Paul is 
guiding our minds to the one true God and their relation, their eternal relation, and then their mission and redemption. So when we think about the Trinity, that's how we, we think about God rightly. We bless, blessed be God. That means to praise God. We bless the God who blesses us. The Father doesn't play, praise us, but he blesses us with gifts. And when the Father blesses us with gifts, we bless him with our words. So blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We praise the Father because he has blessed us. We are blessed. Sometimes you and I might wish that we would be blessed. And we might pray that God would bless us. But realize this morning that we have already been blessed beyond, beyond our really our recognition and our, and our understanding. We are blessed. He has already blessed us. The Father has blessed us in Christ through the Spirit. Those spiritual blessings in heavenly places. Our blessings come from God in our union with Christ. And the fact that our citizenship, our inheritance, our treasure is in heaven. We might not have much in the way of things of this world. We might not have much in the way of reputation in this world. We might not have much in the way of blessings of this world. But you and I have been blessed by the Almighty God in the Lord Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit in heavenly places. Our blessings come from our relationship with God and through the fact that our inheritance and our treasure and our home is in heaven where our treasure and our blessings cannot be taken away from us. These spiritual blessings are too great to be compared with anything this world has to offer or could offer us. There's nothing in this world that you could trade these spiritual blessings for and come out ahead. You'd be the loser if you had the whole world, if you were king of the world and had all of its riches and all of its gold. It wouldn't be compared to what you already have right now, this morning, in Christ. Let us praise the Father who has given us blessings that are without compare. Let us praise the God who chose us. Verse 4, as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. The Father chose us before the world was created. God's choosing didn't happen when we first chose him. That couldn't have happened since there wasn't a world around when the choosing was taking place. The Father didn't choose those who would be good because then he was said, as he has chosen us in good works, chosen us in righteousness, chosen us in the church. No, we were chosen in Christ. Not in our works, not in our beliefs, not in our own righteousness, but we were chosen in Christ. So the Father didn't choose us because we were holy. We are just be lying until we were Because the result of that is that we should be holy. He chose us in Christ with the end of his will being 
that we are holy and without blame. Before this world was, the Father chose among fallen humanity a people to show mercy upon. That he would take these unworthy sinners and through the process that we'll see in this message, the end result being we stand before God holy. We stand before God in love. We stand before God without fear, without shame, without guilt. But we stand before him complete and holy and have everlasting life. That is God's plan of redemption. <clears throat> and as you start in the Old Testament and go through and, and see how the people of God throughout the Old Testament couldn't enter, enter into the holy place, they couldn't come on the holy mount, their sins had separated them. Adam and Eve cast out of the garden because their sin had separated them. They couldn't come to Mount Sinai because they were sinful. They couldn't come into the, the holy place in the tabernacle because they were sinful. They couldn't come into the inner courts in the temple because they were sinful. But praise God who has chosen us and has, has in his plan of redemption that we could one day stand before him holy and without blame. This is a praiseworthy because I am not holy. And you, in your nature, we are in our nature are not holy people. We're, we were born into this world sinners. And not one of us could say that we were without blame. But the Father, knowing all things, chose to save me from my filthy sins and provide me salvation and make me holy. Praise to the God who chose us. Not for our good, but because he chose us because he loved us. Praise God who adopted us in verse 5. He predestinated us into the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. Predestined, determined beforehand. So the Father didn't determine our salvation while it happens. You can't predetermine something as it's happening. You have to predetermine something before it happens. So when you believed in time, it wasn't God making the choice after you trusted in him to save you and to adopt you. But God determined before the world that he was going to save you and that he was going to adopt you into his family. That sets aside any goodness on our account. God knew all things about you when he chose you. All the worst of you, about you. And because he is gracious and loving and merciful, chose to show mercy upon you chose to adopt you into his family. Praise the Father for adopting us by Jesus Christ to himself. We may feel like the prodigal son, poor and dirty, starving, alone because of our sin. 
And then you might come to the Father hoping that He would make you His servant. That we could somehow pay Him back. Because that's how the prodigal felt. Well, I'll go back and I don't deserve to be called a son. But I'll go and I'll work and I'll be a servant just like all the other servants. And I'll earn my food and, and I'll work for Him. I just want to be back with, with my Father. But what's the father of the prodigal do? He runs out, he meets his son, he cleans him up, he rejoices that the son has returned. We'd be most blessed if God made us a slave. But the father chose us by his son to make us sons, to adopt us into his family according to the, his good pleasure. Oh, he, he is good, and his will is good. And out of the abundance of that goodness, he chose to adopt us. And praise the Father who has made us accepted. In verse 6, accepted in the beloved. We praise the Father's glorious grace, that gift, that undeserved gift, not a loan, not a payment. But the Father has graciously received us and loved us and blessed us in the beloved. Now the beloved one here is the Lord Jesus Christ. We are loved in the beloved. So to the praise of the glory of the Father's grace, wherein the Father has made us accepted in Christ, the beloved one. All these spiritual blessings flow from being in union with Christ. So again, this this just underlines the fact that it's by grace, not by works. It's not who we are, but who he is. And though Jesus is beloved to us, this is speaking of the Son being beloved of the Father. John 15, 9 says, As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. So as the, Jesus is the beloved of the Father, we are the beloved of Christ. And so as the Father says, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased, Jesus said, So have I loved you. Praise the glory of the Father's grace who has made us accepted in the Beloved One. Think of that. As the, as the Father hath loved me, so I have loved you. <coughs> if you want to look with me in John 17, verse 21, we'll read verses 21 through 24. Jesus in his prayer to the Father prays along these lines. He says that they, would, that they all may be one as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that thou, that the world may believe that thou sent me. And the glory which thou gavest me I give them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them, thou in me, that they may be perfect in one. That the world may know that thou hast sent me, and hast loved them, as thou hast loved me. The world may know that thou hast loved them, as thou hast loved me. Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which thou hast given me, for thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. You wonder if God loves you. You wonder if the Father loves you. Well, Jesus says, here, as we are united in Christ, 
that the Father loves you as he has loved him. This unparalleled love of God is, is bestowed upon us. It's the praise of the Father who loves us. That brings up a question that I've touched on a little bit, but didn't really answer. How? How can we be made accepted in the beloved? How can we be blessed in heavenly places? How can we stand holy before God? How can we be loved of God who hates sin? It's answered in the next section as we praise the Son who redeemed us. So this goes from verses 7 down through verse 11. Praise to the Son who has redeemed us. In whom we have redemption through his blood. So the beloved one in whom we have redemption. God has made us accepted in the beloved Christ in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. So redemption, we praise God, we praise the Son for redemption. Redemption is the pain of a ransom. It's a financial financial term. And the price of this redemption is not money, but blood. Not only are the blessings we receive not on account of our works, but our works were the problem that had to be dealt with. We're not brought back into the fold because we do good things and make good choices. In fact, what we do and the choices we make is the thing that separates us from God to start with. We are sinners. The Son redeems us. The price of our salvation is the blood of the Son of God. The debt to God's justice must be paid. There shall be no sin enter into heaven, nothing that defiles. No unclean thing will enter into the presence of God. So how can unclean people enter into the presence of God? We said God is loving and forgiving. Yes, he is. He is also holy and just. Justice had to be dealt with. Sin had to be dealt with. Justice had to be dealt out. And so the beloved one was sent from the Father to come and pay the debt that we owed to divine justice through his blood. Our Savior died for us that we might be set free. Praise the Son for his redemption. Praise the Son for his abounding grace. He did this according to the riches of his grace. Wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence. Verse 9, having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to the good pleasure which he hath purposed in himself. Why did the Son die for us? Why would the Son of God shed his blood, suffer, For rebels, for sinners, 
Well, it was out of the riches of his grace. He did so according to the riches of his grace. He died on our behalf. He was our blessed substitute. So when Bill Gates was at the height of his uh, earning powers back in the late 90s or so, if you put in the earnings into hourly rate, how much money he was making, he was, I read he was making about $300 per second. Not per hour, per second. And so one writer said that if Bill Gates was on his way to the office and he saw $1,000 sitting on the sidewalk, it wouldn't be worth his time to bend over and pick it up. Because by the time he stopped, bent over and picked it up and kept on walking, he had already made more than the $1,000 that was laying on the sidewalk. That's a lot of wealth. That's a lot of money. That's just beyond uh, my imagination. Now, if, if he would come and give every one of us $1,000, just say, here's $1,000. That would be from his riches, but not according to his riches. So if he was so wealthy that it wouldn't be worth his time to stop and pick up $1,000, if he gave you $1,000, I'd be tickled to death if he gave me $1,000, right? I'd be happy with that. Wow, this is a lot of money, but not to him. That was from his wealth, but it's not according to his wealth. According to his riches would be a gift in proportion to his riches. Right? It would be in proportion to how much he has. God gives us grace according to his riches. It's abundant. It's, it's beyond our understanding to, to put into words the depth of the riches of the grace that have been bestowed upon us. That God has given us Riches beyond our wildest imaginations in Christ. The unsearchable, boundless, unfathomable riches of Jesus Christ. In accordance with his great riches, Christ lavishly and abundantly blessed us. And bless us with treasures of grace, abounding towards us in wisdom and prudence to make known the mystery of his will. Christ has made known to us this mystery. One of the graces and the blessings of Christ is that he made this known to us. That we know and understand the mystery by the wisdom and prudence that he gave us. To give us the wisdom to understand its plan and its purpose. The divine wisdom has been revealed to us and, that, and, and the, the cover of that great mystery has been removed. The great gospel mystery has been revealed. What God had purposed before the world was created in the redemption of his people has been revealed in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. God had not abounded towards us in mercy and wisdom and prudence to make known the mystery of his will 
according to the good pleasure which he had purposed in himself, where would we be this morning? Where would we be without Christ? Where would we be without this knowledge? If God had not abounded to the Gentiles, where would the church at Ephesus have been? They'd been worshiping demons. They'd been practicing their witchcraft and their magic because that's what they were doing before Christ came in the abundance of his grace. Worshiping demons, sacrificing to altars, participating in in vile um, fornication. But Christ came and revealed this mystery to them. He revealed the gospel to them because he chose to by his grace. He chose to reveal this mystery to you on the other side of the world, Gentiles, without without God or without hope in this world, that we might trust in him. He purposed to do so by his sovereign purpose and his kind intentions. He could have left us in darkness and despair, but in mercy, he showed us who Jesus is, what he did, and how we can be forgiven. So praise to the Son for his abounding grace and mercy. Praise to the Son for our inheritance that he's provided. Verses 10 through 12. That in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are in earth, even in him, in whom we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined, according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will, that we should be to the praise of his glory, who first trusted in Christ. So we see Paul, just like he did with the Father, he encaps this section with praise of his glory, to the praise of the glory of Christ for our inheritance. So the Father chose before the foundation of the world, but he had a plan. It wasn't just, well, this is the way we'll get started and we'll see how it works out. Lots of people plan that way. Sometimes you don't have any choice to plan that way. Say, well, this is all we know. We know we have to go forward. This is what we'll do. And then once we get there, we'll think of the next step. That's not how God operates, right? God purposed all things the very end from the very beginning. And there was an end to this plan of redemption. The end of the plan of redemption was not that Jesus would die and then give everybody a a chance to hear the gospel. That was not the end of the plan of redemption. The end of the plan of redemption is that in the fullness of time, when everything that God has planned has come to fruition, that he would gather together in one all things in Christ to obtain that inheritance. The end of the plan is us having our inheritance. So God the Father chose to save and to redeem in this world, but also that his children would be glorified and given the inheritance that he has um, chosen to give to us. 
the work of the Son is all the way through to, to stand before God in our glorified bodies to receive the fullness of the inheritance that he's promised us. They gathers all his people together in one that in all things, all people in heaven and on the earth are gathered together in him. That is his purpose. And as surely as he has carried out his purpose until this point, he will finish his purpose that he has told us. Praise to the Son for our inheritance. That we are children of God, joint heirs with Christ. Which was ordained by the one who works all things after the counsel of his will. You have an inheritance more valuable than, than anything on this earth that's waiting in heaven for you. These old bodies will be glorified. We won't have any more heart trouble, joint pain, sickness. It's all going to be gone. It's going to be a thing of the past. And you will live with Christ and you will rejoice and you will praise and, and you will worship and, and there will be no more pain and sorrow and, and sickness. It will all be gone. That's what's waiting for you. That's, your, that's part, just a part of your inheritance. It's there. God has ordained it. And the only way it won't come to pass is if the Father lies or the Son fails or the Spirit fails. Which leads us to this last point. So Christ has purchased so much for us and we praise Him for the glory of His grace that we trusted in Him. But the, that's kind of the same question. How? How does this happen? How do we receive these benefits? How is it that we even trust in Christ? What assurances do we have? So some might hear the gospel and say, well, that doesn't make any sense. Just believe and you receive these things. But that, that doesn't make sense. How, how do you know these things? How does this happen? Well, to the praise of the Spirit who sealed us. <coughs> that we trusted in Christ. The end of verse 12, verse 13 says, In whom you also trusted, after that you had heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that you believed, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance, until the redemption of the purchased possession under the praise of his glory. So God, the Spirit, abide in time, redemption and comes Christ, so is all the children. Christ accomplished redemption for those sinners. That those whom the Father chose would be saved and would be cleansed and justified and adopted. But it's the Spirit who applies that redemption to us in all the situations. How we've not Christ. By faith, somehow we have faith that is given to us by the Spirit of God. It is the Spirit who enlivens us, who who gives us life, who gives us eyes to see and ears to hear, who quickens us and draws us unto the Father. It is by the Spirit that we are able to trust in Christ. And this is the first thing in this whole section so far that 
we have any relationship in doing. We, we haven't even been mentioned except as the recipients of grace. And here it says we have trusted. We have confidence in Christ after we have heard the word of truth, the good news of the gospel of your salvation. So we heard the good news. We believe the truth of the good news. And we put our confidence in him. It's not good news to earn. It's not good news for sinners to be judged by how good we are. But the good news is that Christ saves sinners. And all this happens according to the plan of God, who ordained the end from the beginning. We believe this truth because the Spirit enlivens us. He draws us. He gives us faith to believe, as Paul will detail later in this book, Paul says we are, not only does he give us faith, not only does he give us life, not only are we born again by the Spirit, but we are sealed with that Spirit of promise. The Spirit testifies to us, confirms these things are true. How do you know? Because the Spirit has testified within our spirit that we are the children of God. Because the Spirit has given us eyes to behold the mysteries of the glories of this grace. Because the Spirit has given us faith and confidence to trust in Christ and rest in his promises and forsake ourselves as we turn from ourselves, when we turn from our self-righteousness and, and rest in the gospel of Jesus Christ. He is the Spirit of promise. It says in 2 Corinthians 1, it says in verse 20, For all the promises of God in him are yea and amen unto the glory of God by us. Now he which established us with you in Christ and hath anointed us is God, who also has sealed us and given us the earnest of the Spirit in our hearts. All the promises of God in Christ are yes and amen. To those who are in Christ. The promise of salvation is yes and amen. The promise of eternal life, yes and amen. The promise of the forgiveness of sins, yes and amen. Are you in Christ? Has God promised eternal life and a home in heaven and a new creation and a new earth to those who are in Him? He has. Will you receive it, or are you in Christ? Then the answer is yes. All the promises of God in Christ are yes, and in him, amen. He has established us in Christ. He has anointed us or indwelled us in God. He has sealed us with the Spirit. So in the Old Testament, God promised to give his people a new spirit in Ezekiel 36. To take away the, the stony heart. It says in Ezekiel 36, 26, and 27. To take away the stony heart out of your flesh. To give us a heart of flesh. To put our, his spirit within you and cause you to walk in your statutes. To keep the judgments and to do them. He is the Holy Spirit of promise. And all God's promises are yes and true in Christ. And he has confirmed them in us. He indwells us and he has sealed us 
and given us the, the earnest of that inheritance. Just like when you buy a house and you put down an earnest payment, it's the, it's the first part of that whole. It's not the whole payment, but it's just the very first part of it. It's, it's ownership. It belongs to you. So you make that earnest payment. That's the first one. You're going you're gonna to receive the rest. That's just the first taste of it. The Spirit is the first part of the whole promised inheritance. Just the first part. The Spirit confirming your love for Christ and your faith in Christ. The, the Spirit changing you and conforming you to the image of Christ. Putting in you a new love for the Lord God. A desire for His, His holiness. Think about the fruit of the Spirit. The blessings of the Spirit in us is a taste of the perfections and glory. So as we come into this place this morning, the church has gathered one body here who confess one Lord and one God and one faith and one baptism. And however imperfectly we hear the word and we rejoice in it, and however imperfectly we have fellowship one with another and, and with our God this morning that we sang to the, the best of our ability we sang and to the best of our ability we praised and we pray and we worship. And I pray that you'll be able to leave here and say it's been good to be in the house of God. But this is just a, a small taste of the glories to come. To where one day we won't be limited by how long we can sit in a pew. And we won't be limited by whether and how well our bodies can keep up and how long we can pay attention or, or, or how long we can, we can praise or how well we can sing. But we're going to have one perfect communion with our God. And we will walk and live and have our being in the perfection of, of God's Spirit. Our only inclination will ever to be good and to do good. As I think it was Billy Graham, someone asked him, what do you do in heaven? He said, anything that you want to. And you know that, that, that's right, because our inclinations will only be to do good and to glorify him. And to rejoice in Him. To love. To have joy. Everlasting peace. Goodness. Holiness. And it all come from within. We will be Christ-like. We will live. And we will feast. And we will rejoice. And we will praise God. And we will be unlimited by any of the, the restrictions, the curse has laid upon us, it'll be perfection as God has intended it. And we just have a little taste here of what God has promised us. So praise to the Spirit for the earnest of our inheritance. And praise to the Spirit for His preserving us. The Spirit testifies until we are glorified, 
until we have our resurrection bodies, until we are free from this body of death, free from the old man, and changed into live and dwell forever in the new creation. Paul opens up this letter by explaining and detailing the plan of the triune God to choose a people, adopt them into his family, that we might enjoy the everlasting blessings of our union in Christ. The knowledge of this truth and the meditation of these truths, as Paul shows us in the end of each one of these sections, makes us praise for the glory of his grace. So I have just a couple thoughts here, and then we'll close on on the whole thing. So meditation on the truth of the gospel makes us praise. Some places have praise and worship service, then they'll have the preaching. But it is the gospel that makes us praise. Thinking about what our God has done for us lifts our hearts up to thank him. The revelation of our guilt will break us, but God's grace saves us, and that gratitude causes us to praise. Secondly, the meditation on the plan of redemption gives us assurance. All through this section, we've read about what God did for us, not what we do for God. And knowing how we are saved and why we are saved, and it's all through God's good and gracious plan and purpose, gives us assurance because we didn't earn it, and we don't have to keep it. It was God's grace for God's glory. So that gives you assurance. Jesus paid it all. And your salvation and your hope and your inheritance is secure because he's the one that purchased it. He's the one that gave it to us. And he's the one that desires that we be holy before him. And then thirdly, meditation on God's sovereign grace causes us to praise the love of God towards us. The Father, child of God, the Father loved you, chose you, and adopted you. The Son loved you and redeemed you with his blood. He died for you. The Spirit loves you, indwells you, applies the the benefits of redemption to you, and will keep you. Feeling lonely, alone in this dark world? Christian, you were loved. Jesus loves you. The Father loves you. The Spirit loves you. And it's all evident in this section by what he did for you. Meditating on the gospel will cause us to praise the one who will never leave us, who will never forsake us to the praise of the glory of his grace. Oh my God, need the safe travels home and bless the preaching of his word. And uh, let's stand and be dismissed.